welcome to the Lanky Nate podcast. It is Tuesday, 22nd of October, 2019 AD. Got my brew. I've got noisy scooter riding neighbors outside. I've got 10 minutes. 10 minutes? Well, a couple hours before I need to be at uni to do some collaborative practice work. Um, I'm thinking about doing these regularly for Tuesdays. Because Tuesday comes after Monday. And Monday is when uh, Spleen does its free comedy nights. Um... And I'm trying to get into the habit of doing that as often as possible. Go to that one. Because it's free. It's the comedy environment. It's for my craft. I uh, I showed up early enough for the show last night. But not early enough to get a seat. So I was stuck all the way at the back of the bar. Still listen to people. Dude, I just like watched the first guy... Got sick of that. Went out and just hung out at a nearby bar for an hour so that the second bracket would be up and then maybe I could get a spot in the second bracket. Came back just in time to see Tom Ballard do a surprise drop-in. Told a joke that I was kind of already writing in my head, which was structured. It was about the environment, saying we're all fucked. Not really adding to anything to it. Um, talking about Greta Thunberg, Thunberg, whatever her name is, saying like, "Oh, she's a good person. We shouldn't make fun of her." But then saying, "She's really uh, what do you say? She's just a hilarious person." Now look, I've had this as a comedian in my head for a while. I was like. Yeah, she gets picked on by the right-wing media, conservative media, and left-wing media, like, really fucking defensive of her. So don't go playing around with it. Um, If I was to make that joke... (laughs) Fuck. I would have done it differently. Fuck. I don't think I'll tell it. Because, um, like people were laughing, but it was like, it's the kind of comedy where you feel like an asshole afterwards. I prefer the comedy that is wholesome. Oh shit, I might write down down in my rules. I I prefer being wholesome, where you don't feel like a fucking asshole or bad person for laughing at the joke afterwards. Not that I actually felt like a bad person after watching Tom Ballard, um, but I can't help but think that maybe some people did. God, am I even going to keep this in the podcast, just talking shit on Tom Ballard? Mm, This guy who's been doing it for like 15 years, yeah, I can do it better. (laughs) I've done six stand-up sets in my life to very small crowds. Fuck. 
I don't even get what my comedy is. Like, I keep labeling my shit as comedy. But really what I do is just offer solutions. Just, just be this aspy bloody problem solver. But I can problem solve. I'm thinking of just doing a show, a, a stand-up set where I just go up and say, please just shout me your fucking existential issues and I will cure you of your, um, of your despair with my problem solving. All right, write that in. Rule 56. Whatever you do, do it in the most wholesome way you can. Wholesome. What a buzz term. Um, speaking of writing things down, I'm doing it a lot now. I'm doing the whole keep a notepad by my bed thing. As well as uh, keeping one on my person. Like I've got a smaller one for my backpack. Or keep to keep in my pocket when I go for walks. Write down every gosh darn thought I had. Um, I tried, I didn't have, oh, before I bought the book the other day, I went for a walk and was just talking quietly into my phone like I am now. Um, it's fine when you're out in the park and there's no one around, but like when you're going through <laughs> quiet alleyways and you're talking about your insecurities of being, being a creepy, dangerous looking person and then you notice there's like just people there's like one person walking on the other side of the alley and they can probably hear you because they're not wearing headphones of their own and you're like oh I've just thrown myself into a position where I'm feeling very insecure about my insecurities that I'm talking about to myself there's like a meta a meta fucking circumstance of being um, incontent and insecure and upset because you feel bad because you've obviously just freaked out someone by being a creep talking about being a creep, you know? Fuck. <laughs> so yeah, um, walking diaries, I really suggest keeping a notepad on you instead of talking to the phone. Um... All right, so a topic uh, that's been on my mind. What if social skills were like a bigger, um, like social norms or a bigger priority in education or society like there were? If you've ever seen that show, Ladette to Lady, it's about, it's like these two English ladies who are like educators of old school English aristocracy. Um, and they get like pretty much the British version of Bogan women on the show. And they discipline them hardcore and turn them into old school ladies. Um, and the, and they get eliminated when they don't comply soon enough. And, uh, I remember one part where people, the girl, the ladies were, or the, these women were getting better at becoming ladies 
and they did a dinner time practice and they were arranged in the seating in like a set of social rank and one girl just had a really hard time dealing with that because she's all about equality and stuff but uh social ranking doesn't have to be a bad thing i mean we all need order like here's something i've noticed in working collaboratively in groups is that you all uh, you always have to come in with attentions of what's going in plans and whatnot but you also need to assign a leader a team captain there always needs to be head the head of the table and it doesn't have to always be the same person and it doesn't even have to remain the same person throughout the entire session all that needs to be done is for everyone to agree or have a vote that someone is the leader who has who who, who steers the group in a direction and has the final word and it's just how we function we're pack animals we need a leader because um that's that well that's the because that's it we need to just be comfortable with that and if you do it as openly and as like consciously as possible it's likely to be pretty good um as for like manners i remember seeing on qi an episode of qi where there was in the i think in the like victorian era there was this book written for men or young men and how to be a gentleman and i think there were books written on how to be a lady as well and there was social etiquette there was <clears throat> there was uh, a greater consensus of social etiquette back in the day like from I think it I think it was always around in society for as long as society's been around until uh like World War 1 something um I have not looked into this but just off the top of my head there was this change like there was because it was a it was a war that changed a lot of things there'd never been a world war There'd never been such a massive conflict involving so many nations and so many people. There had never been a, a war where they abandon, maybe there had been, but like I turned to that scale where they abandon the honored systems of warfare for the sake of um, like, like success. There were like, cause there was always like this honor code and they were using the arms race and developing methods of defeating the enemy and valuing that over um, the honor war system, the war, the, the, the war, the war, the honor, honorary warfare fucking thing. Um, not to mention there was like so much constant combat. Uh, it, there, there was this effect in art, in poetry, because more and more people were literate at this point as well. Like the soldiers, the grunts were literate. It was a time where people were more lip literate. And there was all of these 
notes and poems and stories and songs written by the men in the trenches and it was all very bleak and uh, had this dark irony and that irony that sense of irony that that's where it became mainstream for this dry irony to become a thing at least this is from what I remember from a documentary I saw years ago <laughs> um, if I'm being extremely inaccurate and you know a lot about it please leave something in the comments something insightful um, where am I going with this? So, like, the world changed. I think this is where social rule changed. And then you've got... God, not to sound like some fucking conservative, but you've got um, more globalization and multiculturalism and stuff. Again, not that I'm against globalization or multiculturalism. Fuck, you can't even just, like, bring up a topic with some without some people getting triggered into thinking that you're against the thing that you're talking about or you have a problem with it. Um, so we have all this clashing of, um, cultures and changes of opinions. There's, oh fuck, there's also like the whole socialist regimes and stuff, um, bringing down the aristocracy and like, uh, what was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. China and, um, and Russia and wherever else they check they there was a whole lot of bad shit that's happened there things are different now that it's like had time to stabilize um people in the west aren't happy with russia but china has like really transformed into something else it's a lot more efficient um although i fuck i don't really know anything about it either where am i going with this fuck Things fucking changed. All right. Um, so the UK still has the monarchy and pe things have been pretty fucking... Like there's no British Empire anymore, but... Things settled. Things settled into what's now the Commonwealth. And the royal family don't really do anything. They're just pretty much a big ceremonial item. Because no one wants to get rid of them. Um, but what if, no, I've got another thought that I'll leave for later. I'm talking about social etiquette. So we've got lots of cultures coming into each other. And we've also got, uh, what, what really fuels problems of multi, multiple cultures in one space is the, um, wealth disparity. Uh, because apparently, this is according to one of Jordan Peterson's lectures that you can find on YouTube. Uh, it's not a, it's not a, um, it's not a populated area being poor that causes the, that causes crime. It's wealth disparity when you have very poor amongst no, uh, when you have poor and wealthy near each other. And I assume that when you've got, God, uh, 
the, the, there's it's it's not just the wealth, but there's also um, ethnic differences between the wealthy and the poor, and when you've got a fucking history of um, racist people in governance deliberately setting up systems to make things or keep 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 the minorities poor and continue to make life hard for them. And there's like strong evidence for this. Um, God, I can't remember the people who talk about it, but there was a guy on the Tim Ferriss podcast who's like really brings in this eye-opening thing um, of these conspiracies. Anyway, it's uh, all these things combined make problems of... Um, make problems of shared social etiquette and social norms and and cultures and subcultures. So we're at a time where we need more than ever these bloody instruction manuals that say how to be a gentleman and a lady, uh, for lack of better terms. But who decides, right? Um, you could it could come across as quite tyrannical or patriarchal or whatever ecclesiasms, if a certain person or certain group of people came out with a social rule book, it would. It would be very distasteful. It would be rejected immediately. So we're in a situation where we all have to go on our fucking journey of self-improvement. And all be... And those who get in the know and can become coaches. If you look at, like, life coaches on YouTube, it's there's a fair bit there. What seems to be very consistent and uh, what in how well it works is stoicism. Um, and if it is pretty much the best way to set your mind and behaviors, but then it's more of an internal thing. I mean, it's important too. Actually, uh, yeah, it's an internal thing, and then you and you beha- and you behave around people. So I guess. If stoicism becomes really popular and everyone starts doing it, which could be possible because of the internet and it's just got a reputation of being the best philosophy of life for most people, that could be an improvement. improvement. Um, but there's still that's still not quite the topic I was talking about of there just being social law of etiquette a really direct one because I think stoicism is a bit more vague than that I'm going to have to actually read the fucking stoic literature god I'm really going to have to listen back to this topic I'm going to have to get used to just talking about these hot topics I I was going to say controversial but is it even controversial I guess this is what you have to get used to if you're like an English teacher or a teacher of any kind, just talking about um, 
cultural things. All right, I've just looked up uh, a page about Stoicism on, what's the website? The Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy. Uh, classically, scholars recognize three major phases of ancient Stoicism. Um, one of, from ancient Greece, 300 BC, um, then late 2nd and 1st century BC, and then the late, the, the Roman Imperial period, or late Stoa. So it's like, it evolved over a course of time. And there's a lot of culture that goes into ancient Greece and, and Rome, especially Rome. So maybe they just bloody figured it out, man. Just like put all the best things together, the ways of living. Because it involves physics and metaphysics and virtues and shit. So it's like uh, uh, 2,000 years ago, some really fucking smart dudes over time, over hundreds of years, just said, we really want to fucking just develop the best way to live life using all the information we have available. And uh, it's and they did a really good job, and it rings true. Though of course you're going to do a good job after hundreds of years. Um, so it's now Thursday. <laughs> uh that's a uh, transition music i am again i i i did i didn't get to just finish the 45 to 50 minute mark so i put it off it's getting hard fucking hell i was doing so well i was on a roll dishing out these podcasts but i'm running out of stuff to talk about or at least i feel like i am and, well, I am just busy with school. Last week was exam week, and now this is the holiday week. But, you know, I'm sick, sort of, um, for the first time in ages. Mr. Me going on about how I, know I don't get sick because of this paleo lifestyle diet shit. Well, okay, here's what I mean by sick. My tonsils kind of stung, started hurting a little bit a couple of days ago. And then yesterday, when I was out, I suddenly got headachey and felt a little bit dizzy and lightheaded and knew I needed to go home and rest. And so now I'm spending the day fasting because it's got a good track record. Man, every time I fast for a day or a day and a half, my symptoms go away real quick. But of course, my body's used to that stuff, the intermittent fasting. Um, I've worked my way up to it. So I'm just, just sipping water, um, having a tiny little bit of pink rock salt every so often so that I keep my electrolytes. And I've just got a bit of a headache. Tonsils aren't too bad. Tiny bit of itchiness, not too bad. God, this is just a fucking journal of some madman's symptoms. Ah. Day four. And I still have not shaken the, shaken the illness, symptoms. Fever comes and goes at night time especially. The shakes are making it harder and harder to hold on to anything I'm trying to do physically. 
But what's worse is the freakish amount of bodily hair that is protruding from my fingertips. It has never happened before. And every time I shave it off, it is there again within hours. What is happening to me? What have I done going to this alien world? Um, I've been writing in my personal journal so fucking much. Um, and I, I read through the whole book today. I thought I started it a year ago. I started it two years ago, just about, just short of two years ago. And it was hard for a long time, I've noticed, to uh, do it regularly. Um entries i do one entry journal entry like per month or every couple of months and now in the last six months since like quitting my job i guess i've done it's gone up to journal entries per week and then per every couple of days and now it's like several things i'll write several things into the journal per day because i have to get them down it's really interesting, though, going over these ponderings I had a year ago. Some of them, I'll read them and say, yeah, that's definitely wrong. That's the wrong idea. I've got a better idea now. But some stuff will be like, oh, that's something I just forgot about and uh, is applicable to how I view things now, but is from a slightly different perspective. And now I've got a newer, uh, I've got a heightened sense better nuance fuck i really should learn the word nuance before using it so much let's type it in nuance nuance plural noun nuances a subtle difference in or shade of meaning expression or sound give nuance to the effect of music is nuanced by the social situation of listeners mm. i've made myself a new affirmations recording because the last one worked really well and then I stopped using it because uh, I got a new phone. Now this phone has been really good, but last time I had to do an update, it wiped everything from the phone. Or I ended up having to wipe everything from the phone in order to start it up again. And now this fucking phone has told me new system version download. And I'm worried. I'm so worried that I'm going to have to do it again. So, I'm recording this pod, and I'll send it to myself through email so that I don't lose the pod. Oh yeah, when this happened, when I wiped everything from the phone, I had recorded my parsnips recipe, and it was a great take, and uh, lost it all because I was like, okay, did that, now it's time to update my phone. Whoops. No backup. Back up your shit, guys. I've kept to the uh, Tinder poems. I continue starting. That's that's my that's my opening line now. Um, on Tinder is hi. Would you like me to write you a poem? And if they answer, they pretty much always say yes. Well, they always say yes, and I just ask for a one-word suggestion, and I write them a poem. Uh, I don't think I've actually gotten any dates 
yet after that approach. But, you know, it's been a while since I've gotten a date. Not that long. It was like two weeks ago. Oh, shit, I just realized I have a date tomorrow night. <laughs> uh, all right, I'm going to check. I'm going to contact that person I'm going to have a date with and see if she still is... Has got, is if it's still going to happen. Yeah. She's picking the place. It's some, some thing near where I live, which is it, very convenient. Apologies for the muffled sound just then. My microphone was stuck under my robe. Dude, I'll tell you what, fasting sucks. It's so boring. It's so boring. No wonder I spent hours reading over my diary and entering in some more stuff. I'm so goddamn bored. And yet I'm not studying. How typical. So how about I talk a bit about my personal development for a bit. Confidence. Actually, no, I won't get into the confidence yet. Um, recently, I think the work I've been putting in for, like, you know, as, as mentioned before, the thought journal, going over my thought patterns, as well as mindfulness, mindfulness, something somewhere along the way, some of these good affirmations, maybe some of the Deepak Chopra ones or something, and maybe the nighttime, the nighttime positive affirmations. I made it a habit to when to tell myself or make myself look at things from other people's perspective, particularly in the context of when someone, usually a stranger on public transport or at a supermarket or something, annoys the shit out of me because they decide to walk into me when they could have walked around me or something. But now it's habit that whenever that happens, I look at, I actually imagine from their point of view, like third dimensionally, their eyes, their, their visual point of view and see, okay, in that given amount of time, I understand that misjudgment they made. I have certainly done it many times myself. Like we tend to do stuff badly when we're nervous and feeling awkward and not in our comfortable environment. When we're comfortable, we do a better job. That's why it's so good to be confident. But, and I'll get to that. Um, and I've, and it's especially, it, I still get annoyed by random people in public, but it's especially uh, taken effect with the people I'm around in my day-to-day -day life, the people I work with and, and go to school with and stuff. They don't, some, some people would get on my nerves, but now no one does. No one gets on my nerves. It's strange and amazing. I just enjoy people for what they are. I don't try to correct them or make them better because doing that just usually does the opposite or makes them react badly. 
I was at a stage in my journey, I think, where I was like, well, I've really done a good job at helping myself and I can, I'm able to help others who have problems that I've had that are similar to mine. Uh, I want to help change them into better people, but like, you don't get to choose that. You, you can help people who want to be helped when they've asked help. You can offer advice. You can try and consolidate and say, I've had similar experiences, this is what I did, but like you can't just make someone change into someone better. Because it doesn't matter how, how good you are, how good your advice is, it's not going to work on anyone who doesn't want it. Or isn't ready to. So you just live with them. And anyway, so that I've let that go. I just accept people. I've just I've done it enough times where I, I start feeling judgy and then I go, I'm just going to completely, completely immerse myself into the point of view of this other person. And there's peace. There's a sense of harmony. You're just there with them, experiencing their dumb rant about <laughs> whatever they're going through. I'm just, I just feel so much more peace. It is another example of just figuring out something, practicing a positive mindset enough times where it's automatic and things flow again. And you're like, fuck yeah, I've mastered the power, I've harnessed the power of the universe once again, baby. Um, and this is part of like, oh, where do I go to next? So I, I think that was one of my walls, judgment, is one of the walls I put up that stopped me from engaging with other people, but also stop, the walls can stop myself from really functioning and talking to myself properly in a healthy way. Uh, and as a result of that, I've, I've got all this big clear space. I see clearly now the rain has gone and I see other people's walls. And now I know not to address other people's walls because usually if you do, if you just straight up call it out, like, oh, I think you have an insecurity about something, that's a risky, risky thing to do. You could get some backlash. You listen first. You listen first. And eventually someone may actually say that they know that they have a problem with this particular thing, like insecurity or something. And that's when you say... Well, that's when you know they're ready to talk about it, or at least somewhat ready to talk about it. And maybe you can offer some help. Say, I've had that similar issue. Would you like to hear my journey on that? Um, and even then, sometimes they'll just not want to hear that because they're not ready yet. But uh, all in all, I've gotten way more confident in these things. And here's the thing about confidence. The advice of be, being confident is bad advice in the in the fact in the way that it is incomplete advice. Being the conf, having confidence in a situation does make you better at that situation and help you accomplish what you want to accomplish. But getting the conf, uh, confidence in the first place, it's like a whole first chapter or first book on the matter that's been left out when people say get confidence. See, you don't start with confidence; you build confidence. And it takes a long time. It takes a lot of experience. You have to see everything in that world of whatever situation it is happen a few times over. 
till you become familiar with it and you go, oh, I've seen this before. Let me do this thing that works. That's what confidence is. But until you reach that point, you need something else. You need courage. You need to just buckle down and go, I'm going to just take a leap of faith and go into this not knowing if it's going to work out well and hope that it works out well. Given, uh, depending on the situation, it's probably not such a bad thing. I mean, acting class, that doesn't go too badly. What's the worst that can happen in acting class? You're there with a bunch of people, you're just going to embarrass yourself. At the worst bit. Maybe a physical injury if people flail around too much and, and get, try doing some stunts and then, whoops, there's an accident. Cooking. Well, cooking can get more dangerous. You can cut your finger off, burn yourself, cook something wrong and have food poisoning. But uh, there are procedures. Follow the procedures. I mean, if you cook a particular recipe that's interesting to you and you follow the guide or you have someone teach it to you and you very thoroughly learn how to do it really well to the point where you don't need help anymore. You just do it effortlessly. You don't even need to check the measurements for how much flour and water you're using or whatever. It's a great feeling of confidence that you've just mastered this particular dish. This is such a vague topic. Vague podcast. I'm sorry, everyone. There's barely anything going on here. Okay, another 10, 20 minutes. Well, all right, so something that's been on my mind a lot recently is um, Carl Jung philosophy. Carl Jung, the philosopher Carl Jung, he lived like, oh, he lived until the early 20th century. It was around the 1800s. He lived in the 1800s, and that's when he did most of his work, I think. He was chums with Friedrich Nietzsche, I think, and uh, Sigmund Freud. He he, he he was he was a philosopher. Jordan Jordan Peterson talks about him a lot in his lectures. He likes to use the. Uh, Metaphorical analysis or something like that. God, I'm so tired. Oh, fasting sucks, guys. Um, so, he... Carl Jung's philosophy of the mind, the philosopher and, like, psychoan psychoanalyst, trying to use one of the big people, big, is the big influences on... Dropped my phone. It was one of the big influences on psychology and really figuring out the human psyche. And what is it? Like, he's got the conscious mind, the ego, the super... Oh, fuck. I'm not going to read it out. I don't have it here. But, so there's... He's got this thing called the shadow, and it lives in the subconscious mind. And it's very interesting. It's like what we consider to be our dark side. But so okay, uh, it's full disclosure. I haven't actually read Carl Jung stuff. I've just seen a bunch of videos, as well, including the Jordan Peterson ones. But uh, come on, learning is learning. So the way the shadow was manifested, and it can't be avoided. Everyone manifests their own shadow, 
and it is something that we learnt, maybe something that we naturally do, but was told not to do. It can come from that. It can come from bad experiences giving us fear of a thing because of a bad experience. Um, and all kinds of ways of manifesting. Now, let me jump topic to the book, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And, and I will spoil it, but whatever, it's, it's from the 1800s. It's from, it was written in the time where Carl Jung would have been doing his, most of his work, I think. So, Dr. Jekyll in this, in this fictional novel, this piece of literature, Henry Jekyll is convinced, and he's like a man in his 50s or 60s, he's convinced that uh, the human psyche is made up of two parts, good and evil, and they call it the, the, the soul even, two parts of the soul or two parts of the psyche, psyche, or maybe there's the good soul and the evil animal nature. What he knows is that there's two parts. And he wants to, he's trying to make a potion to separate the two from each other so that people can be just good. He makes his potion, tries it on himself because he couldn't get anyone else to do it. Oh, Carl Jung was born in 1875. So Carl was like five, 10 years old when the, song, when, the, when the book was written. Anyway, uh, the potion as you've probably heard, if you know anything about the story at all, turns him, or brings on the bad side, the evil side, the animal side. And it actually changes this man's physiology. This is very gothic literature, gothic horror literature. So he's a tall man, gray hair, I think, assumably, because he's in his 50s or 60s. It's like six foot one, six foot two or something. He shrinks down to like five nine, um, gets a bit more hairy, looks younger, uh, so he has dark hair, less wrinkles, I guess, but he's also, he, he's described as looking deformed, but not in any way that anyone can pin down, they can't describe how, they just sense by looking at him that he is. And they, uh, everyone's like just horrified by the sight of the guy. And this, this transformed version is, of course, Edward Hyde. He calls himself, this personality calls himself Edward Hyde. And he does bad things. He fucking just, he's got this young body, does whatever he wants. And he's got all this drive, this animalistic drive to do, go exactly for what he wants to go for without any sense of civility holding him back. And he and there are and the book is written so there's like this guy who's an investigator witnesses things and takes things into account. Um so and and reads letters and stuff and that's how you get other points of view. So the first sighting of this Edward Hyde is he just like walks through a street in the evening, knocks over a girl and just like stomps over the girl and and the girl's like hurt, not injured, just hurt and her parents are there and all these people are there and the character, the point of view character's there and they all confront him 
and get him to pay like a hundred pounds or whatever as compensation. He's like, fine, whatever, I'll fucking do it. Um, then the next account, the next uh, situation where Edward Hyde causes trouble, he's just hanging out with this older man and there's this lady talking to the two of them. She's she's really enjoying the company of the older man. Then Hyde just snaps into a rage and beats the older man to a pulp, to like a, to death. And um, and they figure out it's him because they. Well, the description fits, and also he's the cane. He broke, beat him to death with a cane. The cane broke off. The head of the cane broke off, or half the cane broke off. And then Edward Hyde just runs away. And then things are serious because there's an actual murder. The investigators find the half of the cane, which I'm assuming is the head of the cane. And they identify it. It's a rare wood. And there's a design on the cane. Like, we know who this is. This this was a gift given to Henry Jekyll. And other stuff that will give away the plot happens and they find him. But from when you when you when they're at the end of the book, there's a letter read from Henry Jekyll's point of view, and he tells everything that happened. So he t- tells about the potion. He tells about the experience. How he watched himself. He was kind of still himself, but he did other things in this young body, and he knew it was like an ev- the evil side of him. But he kept doing it because he had this young body, and he had a harder time of controlling himself while under the influence of the potion. And then things got scary when he would, he wouldn't even be taking the potion and he would turn into Edward Hyde because this part of him was fed enough. The potion directly fed this dark side of him. And then it started having power over him and then in the end he tries to like cure it by taking a massive dose of the potion but it ends up just poisoning him and it's scary because he one i think there's an there's oh god it's hard it was hard to follow the book so i can't remember all the details but he talks about whether or not this edward hyde is a separate personality altogether like it's two people living in the one body but he realizes that it's not they are the same person that the potion exaggerated one um and brought it to the surface and the only reason that edward hyde existed in the first place was because all these things that made up edward hyde violence um and and rage and rudeness and vulgarity these were things that henry jekyll knew were bad and he suppressed his whole life but he didn't properly deal with them he was afraid of being this uh unsavory person and he just suppressed those behaviors as much as possible so going back to Carl Jung's philosophy of the shadow, it's a very good illustration of that. It's very interesting. I wonder if Carl Jung took influence from that. 
Um, so the thing is, the the thing is like yeah, you ha we all have our own Edward Hyde, and we have to be careful that if if it's left on its if it's suppressed and suppressed and not worked through, if something happens and we have like a our version of a potion that brings out the Edward Hyde, it'll be this big manifestation. Um, and it can and it can be fed negatively, fed in the way that turns it into a bigger monster. But when it comes to using Carl Jung's psychology to better yourself, it's identifying these dark parts of yourself. Because, well, according to psychologists, including mine, when you when you see these parts of yourself and you consider them to be dark parts of yourself, it's what you interpret as dark parts of yourself. But if you take them piece by piece, like the simplest part of it, one of these aspects, and break down why, and figure out why it's there, if it came from somewhere, some kind of pain, if it came from some kind of fear, if it was, uh, maybe you rationalized it, and you figure out that something is there, for a reason and you dissect it you kind of and then you're supposed to integrate it I'm not really sure how you integrate it I guess I've integrated some of my things all right here's an example no wait oh god am I well give me a sec to think of an example of my own shadow okay let's say my long 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 delay of going to university Part of it was the struggle of um, having learning disabilities. Part of it was developing this fear of going into debt, which didn't make sense because everyone goes into student debt. Everyone does it. It's not a big deal. But I think it was reinforced with not really having much experience doing adult things like taxes and uh and well that's the only one i can think of that took a long time taxes but i guess i didn't really have a bank account until i was like 18 17 18 uh that's probably a regular age signed a lease for a share house when i was like 19 i'm going off topic anyway i was afraid of going to university and I avoided it. And it held me back. It was something that held me back. And I had to integrate fears, the thing I was afraid of. So looking into things that I wanted to study again. And actually investigating what I it would take for me to go to university. First, of course, there had to be the interest of what I wanted to do, which ended up being musical theatre. But also finding out, like, what would I have to do? Do I have to pass an English test or something? Because I didn't finish high school. Um, would I have to do a maths test or anything like that? Would I... How difficult is it to set up the um, student loan? Which isn't hard because they've taken people all the time. All the time. Um, fortunately for me, the school we had, they have people call up people interested and like encourage them and while it comes off as needy 
the constant reminder and encouragement actually probably helped me join the course. Yeah, and so the shadow is, yeah, this manifestation of insecurities and and rationalizations because you can rationalize anything, really. But yeah, if you want to work on your, do your shadow work, work on your shadow, please, please talk to a professional, a psychologist about it, not just take my word for it. Um, any psychology stuff really, yeah, should be done with, and medical stuff. You always need a professional, just like diet and everything. Always get a professional to guide you, to guide you. And then we can all improve ourselves. Well, it's just about 55 minutes now, finally. So now I get to finish this and listen back to it. God, this is going to be such a slow one. All right, so like and subscribe, Lanky Nate uh, uh, on YouTube, Lanky Nate Comedy on Facebook and Instagram. No Twitter yet. I'll, I'll do that when I actually get an audience. If. <laughs> um, please, if you're actually listening, leave comments for suggestions of anything at all. Be good to yourself, be good to each other, be good to yourself. Ciao. Bye-bye.